0: You're listening to the podcast for Inforum, and innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Buy tickets to upcoming live events in San Francisco at Inforumsf.org. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at InforumSF. Good evening. Welcome to tonight's virtual program with Inforum at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Myesha Battle, and I run Sex for Life LLC, a sex and dating coaching practice. Here in San Francisco, I also co-host the podcast, Down for Whatever. I host the podcast, Down for Whatever, and I co-host another podcast about dating called Dating White. I am delighted to be in conversation tonight with Nancy Joe Sales, author of the new book, Nothing Personal, My Secret Life in the Dating App Inferno. Nancy, a New York Times best-selling author and contributing editor at Vanity Fair has written extensively about how dating apps have changed our romantic and personal lives in innumerable ways, and we're going to get into that tonight. In Nothing Personal, Nancy shares her memoir of experiences in the digital dating age and her advice for other people trying to navigate this new world. Before we start, I would like to remind the audience that if you want to ask a question, please ask it in the chat or comment section. We will try to get through as many questions as possible towards the end of this program. So let's get started. Hi, Nancy Jo. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. You are joining us from New York and yes. the apartment where a lot of your book takes place. Um, so I was really excited to see you in this space um, where so many influential things happen to you and with you. Mm. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on the book.
1: Oh, thank you. I um... I'm so happy to be talking to you and, and to be at Commonwealth Club because, I mean, I just sort of, you know, sometimes have like imposter syndrome where I see, you know, the people who have spoken here and I'm just, I'm just so grateful to Commonwealth Club to be here to talk about my book with you, who I've been learning so much about lately. And I love your work so much and I'm going to make a t-shirt. That says commit to the clip. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm going to especially wear it when I go on dates. I want to oh, wear that I mean- when I go on dates.
0: I think this will be a big hit. Um, whoever makes this t-shirt, please knock me some cash. Um, I'll actually forward it on to All Bodies, which is the platform where I teach. You should um, do, you so should do the merch yourself. I, I could. I could. Um, there are actually these amazing now like 3D models of the clitoris, which I think are really helpful because a lot of people still think that it's a tiny pea, but it's not. It's Well, as you
1: know, from reading the book, I found out that there's a lot of men, especially younger men dating in the digital age, who don't seem to know where it is or what it is or how That's it works. Right. Yeah.
0: You and have the patience at the same <laughs> at times in your dating
1: I life. Said, I, one of them, I just said, okay, so no judgment, but can you just point to it? Can you just point to it? And he said, just, just point. You don't have to touch it right now. <laughs> just, just, just point. And he said, isn't it inside? And I was like, well, inside where, like, what do you mean by inside where, you know? So I like, I, you know, when I was a little girl, I talk about this in the book, I would go to the library. I was a big reader. You see them, you know, surrounded like books. Yeah. I love books, so I was a big reader, and I used to go. I grew up in uh, Miami in a suburb of Miami called Coral Gables, and I used to go to the Coral Gables Public Library, which is this beautiful old Spanish style architecture building in 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 um, Coral Gables. And I would go there, and when I started to get interested about sex, I you know it was the '70s, so I got I took out the book The Joy of Sex, and I remember going and hiding in the library because I was afraid someone would see me with it. I was probably like eight or nine and reading it and finding out so many interesting things. It's a little sexist that book. I mean, it was a groundbreaking book in a lot of ways. It's it's a little sexist. No need to go into why. But anyway, so I remember reading about the clitoris and finding out like, "Oh wow, okay. Yeah." And then, you know, finding out more on my own and never hearing anybody ever talk about the clitoris. Like, it was such an important part of sex I found out for for people who are, you know, born the way I was born in this type of body and with these parts. And, and yet I never heard anybody say it. I never heard anybody refer to it. And it seemed almost like a dirty word that people didn't even want to talk about. So when, you know, and that's a big problem going way back. So when I saw your work and I saw this kind of um, celebratory and, and all the wonderful humor that you bring to sex positivity. I just love it. I love Thank it. Thank
0: you. I appreciate that. And I saw so much of um, myself in your journey. Um, so I, I kind of want you to know that you're an honorary member of the sexological community because to write a book about the things that you write about, which are not, um, this is memoir, right? And it's, it's um, delving into pretty much every relationship that you've had which spans, you know, pre-dating apps, right? Um, you know, kind of coming of age in the 70s, learning about sex and the sexual ref- revolution and being kind of an active part of that. Um you mentioned the Spiral Cafe as being this hub for people um who The Spiral restaurant, of, yeah, yeah, part of this my counterculture parents, movement.
1: Yeah, my my mother was a beautiful woman. Like, I mean, you know, beautiful is one of those words that it's like a challenging word sometimes to apply to women, but it's, it's important to note that she was an incredibly beautiful woman. And um, that brings with it its own challenges too, because, you know, um, I, when I was doing my book, American girls, social media and the secret lives of teenagers, I found out that girls who, you know, that there's that old, you know, ad that people make fun of don't hate me because I'm beautiful but actually girls who are considered more attractive have a lot of sexism and sexual harassment and stuff directed at them too and so she had had a lot of things going on in her life that that weren't great and and were difficult to deal with and she married my dad who was a mixed bag he got better as time went on but he was a you know um In those days, not, not a great husband. He was a domestic abuser, which he, you know, completely atoned for later as he changed and learned a lot by reading and, and getting kicked out of the marriage and stuff. But anyway, so she was unhappy. She was, um, you know, unable to eat. We didn't call it anorexia back then, but she was, uh, very, very thin, not eating well. She told me much later that she was constantly being sexually harassed by all kinds of people in her life. And, um, you know, it was, it was just difficult. But then when she was 37, she met this man who was 27, who she fell madly in love with and is still with to this day. And that's like 50 years later, they're about to have their 50th wedding anniversary. And he was a hippie. Back then we say hip, we called them hippies. He had a big beard. And he was this 27 year old guy and he was kind of trying to make it running a health food restaurant. We call it health food back then, but it's macro, uh, no, yeah, health food. It was macrobiotic. And he was really into the this whole idea of the yin and yang of macrobiotics. And anyway, it was called the spiral because of the yin and yang. And it was a kind of a center of hippie culture in Miami in the 1970s, which I didn't really realize as a child. You know, I just thought it was like, my parent, my mom, and my stepfather's restaurant. But it was um, a place where all the young folks hung out, and there was a line every single night. It was this little tiny place. And it was, you know, all the girls wore, all the young women who were the waitresses wore Indian print skirts and no bra, you know. And it was that kind of place. And everybody wore sandals, and nobody shaved their legs. But, you know, it was just cool. And there was a lot of LGBTQ. We didn't call it that back then. But there was a lot of, like, open gay Culture going on, and I grew up in this environment. Now, there was also a lot of sexual revolution type sexual talk and sexuality going on, which, as I got older as a young girl, getting to be like 11, 12, and developing you know, bodily like pretty early, um, resulted in a lot of sexual harassment of me, and and I didn't, um, you know, my mom was had been through this stuff herself, but she was like midwestern and and not like not didn't really know how to talk about this kind of stuff, so I never talked about it to her and in fact, this book is the first time I've ever really talked about it to anybody the 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 kind of stuff that happened to me and and happens to girls still to this day unfortunately in uh in in families and schools and work situations that they might find themselves in and it's it was it was weird and uncomfortable and I never knew how to deal with it. And I, and I wrote about that because I, I thought that it, it informs dating. Like what the reason I bring it up is because you mentioned the restaurant and everything. And, and like, you think that these people are really progressive at this restaurant because they're hippies and they're liberals and they're supposed to be like cool with everything. And no, but wait a minute, like that doesn't necessarily apply to how women and girls get treated and still not, you know, and so it was um, stuff that we didn't even talk about and things would happen and you'd just be like, what do I, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, and it informs you from the earliest age into how you relate to, if you're straight, like, like I am, you know, cur- I call it cursed with straightness. If you're cursed, with, <laughs> I do, I'm sorry, but I, yeah, that's how I see it. Cursed with straightness. So if you're cursed with straightness like I am, then um, you know you start to develop like along the path towards date when you're eventually going to be dating and dealing with people in a dating situation. You've already got all these weird experiences that have happened to you that inform how you're going to uh, react to stuff and, and, and navigate stuff.
0: Right. And I mean, I think that that also ties into how you were able to sort of like uh, be involved with, but also be sort of adjacent to dating culture in your work. Um, even as a young journalist, being sort of assigned to look into dating trends and to kind of investigate these things of what's happening with, with women and feminism, um, that was kind of your, your beat uh, so to speak yeah. early on. But yeah. Team did managers, you feel like kids. that? Yeah. Did, did you feel like that, um, afforded you some ability to talk more openly about your experiences, even with colleagues or to bring that forward in the journalism that you were producing at the time?
1: I think a lot of adults have amnesia for youth and it's because I think it's a lot of times so painful. And, and uh, you know, messes you up and you don't want to remember. And also you want to think that you got past it. And one of the, not all adults, but I think a lot of adults have amnesia for it and they just don't remember and they can't relate because they think they never went through it or something and they can't remember that they actually did. But I somehow, for some reason, um, I'm right there. Like I never stopped feeling like that 12 year old girl. And, and, and so when, when I got assigned stories, like interviewing 12 year old girls or 14 year old girls or 15 year old girls, whatever. And then I did that book about social media and girls. I knew what they were talking about because I had, I could remember, I could remember and it hadn't changed a bit, like add, add these, you know, and add these platforms that was in a lot of ways making a lot of this worse because it was more public and it was more, the more of it the harassment, the, the, the bullying, the, the kind of, sexual expectations, the body expectations, the expectations of like how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed to be and be sexy, the sexualization, which we had coming at us from magazines and television and, and Brooke Shields, like nothing becomes between me and my Kelvins. You know, I, I love Brooke Shields, actually. She's great. But you know, she did that ad and it was 14. And I was 14. And I'm like, Oh, yes, I will be like that, you know, and the sexualization that you get and loves baby soft lip gloss, you know, and you have to, I mean, there was a lot of real like pedo type uh, culture around my childhood that was very celebrated. And um, so it freaked me out at the same time that I think it influenced me. And so when I would go and interview girls and they would tell me stuff, I, I just remember what that felt like. And I, 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 I could like relate to them. And sometimes when I was doing the book, I would go back to my hotel room and I would cry it was like I was reliving it because they would tell me about like you know something happened to me online like this guy just asked me for nudes and you know and I didn't know what to do and you know I know that there's like lots of debate about nudes are they good or are they bad but a lot of girls that I've interviewed feel a pressure and and a and a uncomfortableness with the whole thing, with not knowing, because nobody talks to them about it, you know, not knowing how to react, not knowing what to think. What does this mean? What, do, what nude do I take? You know, I'm I'm in sixth grade, like sixth grade. They're getting these requests and stuff. So I just felt really connected to them on, on some level because of what I had been through. And I felt like finally I needed to talk about that to some extent because yeah, it I is don't... connected to dating. It is. Right. It's right. connected to dating its its connected
0: I feel like the work that you did, the groundwork, we can call it, of, you know, first writing this piece about, you know, our, our um, dating apocalypse in 2015. Right. That was a
1: quote, by the way. I
0: that mean. Was a quote. And I'm
1: not, yeah. I'm not correcting you. I'm just saying, like, some people were like, dating apocalypse, what dating apocalypse? People are still going on dates. It was a quote. It was in quotes in the It's in quotes. Somebody said it, and it was ironic thing that this young woman said to me. She called it the dating apocalypse, and then we thought it was funny. My editor thought it was funny, so that's why we called it Tinder and the Dawn of the Dating Apocalypse with quotes. But then you know how Twitter and social media is and everything. It just became this thing of like, you know, people were so threatened by that piece. It came out in, in 2015, and I still to this day don't understand the big reaction to it. I don't, it went immediately went viral and people all over the world were emailing me and DMing me and saying, it's just like that here. And I'm talking about like people in like Indonesia and London and Sweden and like all over the place, Buenos Aires and like all over the place are saying, it's just like that here. It's just well, like that here. Nobody is very, dating in the same way. Yeah.
0: There's a very like, um, yes, and tone to the book, to your book um, that I think is hard for people to wrap their brains around. And I think going back to, you know, the piece, the dating apocalypse piece that like blew up. uh, um, I think that people didn't want to see that this tool that we were inviting into our homes, could have negative repercussions on our romantic lives, because we were in this mode of like, everything is getting better with technology. And I think what you do so well is (laughs) talk about, are there people who are on dating websites looking for love? Yes. And is it very difficult to not succumb to hookup culture? Yes. Are there positives to people finding communities where they may not have been able to find partners and community and connection before? Yes. And is there still a problem with sexism and racism and homophobia and assault? Very much. So is this thing helping us? That's really on an individual level, I think for people to say, but you bring forth a lot of statistics that show that things are not getting better in the, you know, the time frame between the advent of you know, mobile phones and social media to right now as compared with previous data. That's what we know, we just know that. So, you know, I think that's really hard for people um, to have that sort of perspective of, could there be these benefits, but also these drawbacks that we really need to be thinking about and, and be critical about. So those are my thoughts on maybe why it blew up so much and why you got the backlash.
1: I, I think you. I think you're right. I think you're right because what my my critique is, if anything, it's a corporate critique. I'm like kind of the lone wolf out there, you know, like howling <laughs> at like the the you know big dating as i call it actually it and i've never
0: heard that before <laughs> a, friend of mine, oh. that.
1: a friend of mine called it that my friend is a journalist and she's smart so smart i don't want to say her name because i don't know but anyway she's so smart and she, no i don't know she's like private she might not like me saying it but anyway so i was talking to her about all this stuff and she's one of those people who can just like put like a pithy In on something like the little terminology that's so perfect, and so she's like, it's like big dating. It's big dating, like big pharma, meaning that these are companies that are corporations that their whole, you know, PR is that they're going to make you well and they're going to help you. But so much of the time, they're doing quite the opposite because they're really about profit. Like big pharma is supposed to get us well, but a lot of time they're just trying to sell us pills that we don't even need, you know caused in the opioid crisis and stuff like that. You know, did you see that doc on, on HBO? The, I think it's the new Alex Gibney docs. I haven't, I
0: haven't it, yet. Is
1: it Gibney or, or Gibney? I don't know. He's so brilliant. Anyway, so that, so big Dating is the same thing. It's like the marketing is so powerful. They do marketing really great and they tap into, um, very deep needs and, and desires of people to have love, to have connection, to have sex have fun to to have companionship to find someone they tap into it so well and they make you think that that's what they're gonna get you but that's not really how their businesses are even designed and like in 2015 when that piece came out we weren't yet in what we now call tech clash and and so you know, now since Cambridge Analytica and the, the election of Trump and everything and Mark Zuckerberg being hauled in front of Congress and all these things that have happened, these investigations into, you know, uh, the labor practices at places like Google. Now, now, you know, the the faith that people have in in, te- in big tech has dropped, right? And that's even borne out by by studies, you know. So, but for some reason, it still hasn't overall translated into how people look at dating, the dating industry, which is exactly the same and is doing things that absolutely they need to be held accountable for in this exact same way. They need to be held accountable for such things as no age checks. I mean, it's insane. It's absurd that an 11 year old girl on Badoo. In this country, who was on Badu in this country. And I, I, I don't mean to trigger anybody. I know some people are very disturbed by talk of sexual assault and rape. And if I'm going to talk about that, now. I don't want to upset anybody. And it upsets me too. That's exactly why I do the things, talk about the things that I talk about. It's going it to upsets me so much. Um, but that's why we have to talk about it. So a couple of weeks ago, this 11 year old girl on Badu got raped in her. Weeks or months ago, I don't remember, but I saw the alert on my phone like a couple weeks ago by a 26-year-old man and met her on Badoo in her backyard. And then her father only found out about it because he thought something was up with her, and he started looking at her messages on Facebook and found out. So this is not some isolated thing. There are lots of kids on these apps, and they're on them. That's another thing I totally understand, and I write about in my book. If I were a 13-year-old girl right now, I would be on Tinder. I would make a fake profile and I would go on Tinder because my culture sexualized me to think that, like, hey, let's talk to some thirty-five-year-old guys, you know, because that is what is happening, and that is exactly how I got raped as a. And I'm not saying it's my fault. Like, it is the rapist's fault. But as a fourteen-year-old girl, sexualized, my friend who was like the risk, the risk taker, said, "Let's go to the University of Miami and talk to some freshmen," and one thing led to another and I found myself in a situation, not my fault, never, never the woman or the girl's fault ever, ever, ever. But I went there because this is this, I'm just trying to make the comparison. This is the same reason why you say, well, why are those girls on there anyway? Because our culture tells them that they need to be sexy and like attract men. And that's what they're doing. And they're, 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 and also they might just be talking to them because they want to have that kind of adventurous experience or something, but even a conversation with someone age inappropriate can be very damaging. And there are a lot of pedophiles on these apps and predators. And that's like the worst, worst part of it. There's no age checks. They do not do anything to kick these people off and they have to, that's like, that's like the dark, dark, dark corner of it. But then even into, you know, how um, they make you feel every day. Like the, how they just kind of like exhaust you and wear down your self esteem. And anyway, I don't mean to go on about that. I feel no, like I'm de- derailing your question. Go ahead.
0: I think it's really important that we talk about how the apps are using us. I mean, we use them, right? But big dating is collecting data, using our data, and also impacting how we are able to match. So through the use of algorithms, we're seeing, of course, and there were very early studies on this, um, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, a lot of things are kind of getting, I would say, probably inadvertently at the beginning, baked into algorithmic matching. Um, Well,
1: yeah, the Cornell study from 2018 that I talk about in the book Cornell did a study in 2018. It's in my bibliography in my book. Or you can just Google it. They did this big study that showing how the algorithms are essentially racist. And it's not just that they're racist because they sell you people like the way Zappos sells you shoes by by, you know, this kind of you know, thing of assuming that because you like white people, I'll show you more white people. Because you swiped on some people of color, I'll show you more people of color. It's it's like it's like dating segregation but the the other thing the other thing that's that's messed up about it is that they allow people who write blatantly racist things in their profiles under the guise of sexual pre- or ra- racial preference or something in dating to be on there and to me it's just i mean forgive me for assuming something because i am not a person of color but I, and i i i defer to you but isn't that just like some kind of weird Jim Crow racism in dating to say like, no, such and such people, no, such and such people. And that is to me, offensive for any person of color to go on there and see that. And I think a person who does that should be immediately kicked off that app permanently, but they're on there and it's just considered, you know, part of dating. It's your preference.
0: Right. And I'm it's, sorry, you, you not say. only is it considered part of dating per se or preferences but I also think that there's a lot of rhetoric around um, well if you're there if you're using it which these things are obviously ubiquitous right dating apps are you know one of the reasons why I have a job like I help people to understand like how they're relating to the app and how to help themselves like, make it work for you to the best of their ability right um but the reality is you can't the rhetoric is if you are uh there it's just an extension of real life and so things that happen in real life also happen on the apps and we yeah can't i don't control accept that. that right i, I don't accept that and your I'll book you does a great a job Go ahead. of sort of like explaining why that's actually not the case i actually um have some information underlined and like <laughs> my uh, little n- note next to it is like fuck um, yeah so the founders of Tinder saying we always saw Tinder the interface as a game it doesn't even matter if you match because swiping is so fun and so everything is really set up in the interest of of the game which is yeah, kind of it's mind-blowing to me and there's not like you said there's not a consideration of um is this racist or is this not or is this increasing racism is this increasing colorism is this increasing sexism misogyny etc because the assumption is well people would just be doing this in real life to each other we're just providing a forum and you know i i it's hard for me to grapple with some of this stuff even as someone who works well I mean I on some level I know this and I talk about this on my podcast dating white like black women are yeah. the least desirable etc we know this because you know dating uh, app statistics but um it's just but it's really algorithms difficult to grapple with it's
1: it's you know it's hard for me to grapple with and I totally agree with you it's hard for me to grapple with the fact that they don't care big dating does not care and i know that because they don't do anything about it they don't respond to things they don't do anything about it they are there's all kind of things that they could do they just keep promulgating this idea that you just said that, well, it's just like real life. And, you know, when I interviewed Mandy Ginsburg, who was then the CEO of Match Group, no longer, but she was, and, and I did a film in 2018. I directed a, a documentary for HBO called Swipe, Hooking Up in the Digital Age. And I talk about it in the book too. Thank you. And I, um, yeah, and I did it. That's what the book is about too. I did it while I was going through menopause and like like reinventing myself and like broke and going crazy and trying to make a film for the first time. So the book is also about like, like a very it's like this very crazy like five year period of my life where I was trying to do a, like a juggle like a whole lot of things at once plus date on dating apps that I was also reporting on and doing a film on, and it was it was a very in, intense kind of time that's what it's about, so she says, well, I said, well, you know like hello um she says well we're we're doing everything we can to make Uh, the apps uh, safe for women. I was like, well, what are you doing? She's like, well, we have information in the, in the, in the, you know, down, 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 down in the, 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 all that stuff that nobody ever reads. Uh, Don't ever go in someone's car. Don't ever go in someone's car don't, you know, make sure people know where you are. Don't ever, you know, don't ever drink. I was like, and I'm sitting there thinking like, do you know what dating app culture is? It is drinking. (laughs) (laughs) It's drinking before you go on the date. It's like so that you can like handle the weirdness of it. It's drinking when you're on the date. Not every single person. Don't at me. Okay. But you know, (laughs) like, you know, it is a lot of drinking. It's drinking so that you don't have to feel weird with this total stranger. You know, it is going to their house or going to your apartment or, in my case, going to my downstairs gym because I didn't want to bring these guys up into my space with my my daughter. You know, so like if nothing so, else, I would never do that.
0: Nothing personal. Uh, <laughs> wins for most sex scenes in a gym, a basement gym, and the rooftop- a roof. <laughs> rooftop very we got, creative well we space.
1: have lounge furniture up there and don't <laughs> let your neighbors those. This. <laughs> I'm so you know what? that's so funny you say that I have been hoping they won't because even though it was a few years ago that this all happened I really don't want them to give me those looks in the elevator like you know because I had sex on their lounge like some of them on their lounge furniture because anyway um, I hope they don't see this. So, <laughs> cause the communal, it's lounge. Out there for, now. well, the communal lounge furniture has no cushions, but the one people that have their own little area, it has cushions. So, but they weren't home anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> they were on vacation. They do doctors without borders. Anyway. So, <laughs> so I, I, um, where was I? Um, yeah, see, you have to laugh, right? Cause it's also absurd. But what was I saying about it big dating from, um, big dating
0: Bumble CEO? It was a Bumble CEO? No, that so, was, she was
1: the match group. Oh, yeah. Match yeah. group. So she right. says, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just like a bar. It's just like a bar. It's not like a bar. It would be like a bar. They all, they love to say that. It's just like a bar. It's just like real life. It would be like a bar. If there was a bouncer at the bar that said, the, the algorithm, that said white people over there, people of color over there, and if 30% of women who went to that bar got raped. Because ProPublica did a survey in 2019, 2020 even, talking about how uh, they, they surveyed 1,200 women who had been on online dating dates in the last 15 years. And 30% of them had been sexually assaulted. And of those 30%, 50% had been raped. And the dating apps, and what is even worse about it is that the dating apps had nothing in place to, to do anything about it, to even report to report it to because they don't have to, because of Section 230 is that aspect of internet. I mean, we're in, talking in San Francisco, everybody knows what Section 230 is probably, but for those who don't, it's that aspect of internet Law that makes it you know so that third party companies are not responsible for the actions of third parties on their platforms so they don't have to do anything about it and they don't care or they would do something about it but why don't they care because what they want is more and more and more and more users and all the tech people who are in the in the audience know what I'm talking about because some tech people have actually reached out to me people who who work in dictating have reached out to me and said you know you know off the record, anonymously, I'm conflicted about what I do because I know that a lot of this is true. And every single time there's an ethics question, it comes up against the people who deal with like growing the users. Right. And they have to get more and more and more and more users because that's how they get to this place. This guy said they call it in his company the waterfall, where they get more money, they can go public, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so you don't want to kick off pedophiles and you don't want to kick off rapists and you don't want to kick off people who send dick pics and you don't want to kick off anybody because you need the, you need these people to to show your investors your numbers. So this is a very, this is a very bad faith proposition. And, you know, there are a lot of people who do meet the love of their life on dating apps. I'm, I'm well, well, well aware of that, but if we're going to have, and that's fantastic. You know, like I'm so happy for these people, but if we're going to be, you know, have have a, a real responsible society where, you know, companies are, are held accountable, which is that, isn't that what we want, especially in the, in intimate spaces where people can be really, really hurt emotionally and physically. I just think there's just a glaring lack of accountability. And that's why I'm out here saying this stuff. And because it happened to me too. Me too, you know, it happened to me too. I was sexually assaulted twice on dating apps. I was not raped on a dating app date, but I was sexually assaulted twice. And one time I, it could have been a lot worse than it was. And I've talked to so many women that these things have happened to, you know, and it, 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 it I, I talked to a young woman recently. She woke up you know, because there is so much drinking and hookup culture and dating up culture. She, she kind of passed out during the date. You know, you drink a lot, you have fun, you dance around, whatever you're doing is what happened to me too. And she woke up and the guy was raping her on this date. And she's like 20, you know, wonderful, you know, woman in her 20s, great job. And now she's like traumatized in therapy because of this thing that happened to her, You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's so important that you brought that forward in your book, because some of the situations that you describe are not what the law would define as, you know, assaults. But there, there are definitely moments of, like, panic and, and, and awkwardness, and what do I do with this, and how do I understand this in the moment with another human being who, you know... Well, you mean the one
1: when the guy stuck his dick in my face? That was a. The dick in the face.
0: <laughs> I wasn't quite sure where in the face what was happening. If he was like masturbating in front of you, or what was happening there. Um, he was trying said, to
1: basically use. He was trying to basically use me like a blow up doll.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And there were just, I think, moments of. Um, I don't know. I think as a woman who dates men and who has been in an online, you know, been on online dates myself, um, and you, the met, times when you, you met a good guy, right? You met a good. I I met him through Tinder, <laughs> and right. he was also and on Hinge. That, but and that happens, and that's fantastic. There were many who, you know, I think I could see myself in those descriptions of like, "Am I safe?" Maybe they turned out to be perfectly safe dates, right? But I think that we don't talk about our safety, um, every, everyone's safety, uh, when we've created this monster of matching where we're also navigating a culture that expects that the people that you're having sex with are less than. And we actually have a question um, from the audience about why is it so hard to talk about these things i.e. sexual harassment with the people we are closest with when they themselves might have had similar experiences.
1: That is such a good question. Oh what my god. Thoughts? That is such a good question. All i can tell you is that it changed my life when i finally did. It 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 is just like so hard to carry it around. And 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 you don't even realize how you're affected by it like all the time. It's so hard because um because we're shamed. We're shamed and we're we're made to feel like we did something wrong. We're made to feel like it was our fault. We're made to feel like we were stupid or we were slutty or we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, don't get in someone's car. You know, all that kind of stuff. We're we're made to feel like we're dumb. Girls who just didn't, you know, do like the smart girls do. Well, you know what? I've talked to some of those smart girls too, and then they'll tell you that, like, that's just the Instagram version of themselves, and they have other stuff that they need to unburden too, sometimes. But why is it so hard? Because because women are are silenced through humiliation, and and we're and and we're and men too, men too sometimes but women especially i think are silenced through humiliation they're silenced through through a kind of humiliation that makes us makes sexual violence more possible because we don't feel like we can speak up even in the me too moment a lot of the time people feel like they can't speak up and i th- i want to change that my you know i have a doctor who's in his 70s and he's a wonderful doctor i absolutely adore him and and he's a great doctor and I went but he's an old guy and I went to him recently you know I was taking my book whenever I have a new book out and I brought him my book and he was looking at it and he was like why did you write this
0: <laughs> why are you airing all your dirty laundry right he's like
1: why did you write this like like <laughs> and I'll t- I told him why I told him why for that very reason Exactly that that woman or, or man, whoever it was, just said person, because I am sick of people feeling this way, and I'm sick of feeling this way myself, and I think that I just want to destigmatize everything, you know, like I did this thing, and you know sometimes you get like I was always the kid at the high school dance who would be the first one out on the dance floor, you know. <laughs> I'd be the one to be out there like, you know, and then, then like everybody else would start dancing. That's kind of a like a happy, silly high school version of what I'm trying to do with this, which is, and, and you know, there are a lot of people who, who, who write about this stuff. I'm not saying I'm the, the first person or anything, but um, I do think that, you know, and I've just, I've seen even from some of the reactions I've gotten from my book that there is still stigma and there is still like slut shaming and there is still... And I feel like, you know, if I can, if I can be the person on the dance floor being like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm dancing. I'm telling, I'm telling what happened and other people can feel like they can do it too. And it's not shameful. And then, you know, I told my mother that I was writing this book and I informed her and we had a lot of conversations about it. And she never told me any of these things into her eighties. And she finally did tell me a lot of things that happened to her too. I had no idea. I had no idea. I feel like my whole relationship with my mother, my whole life would have been different if I had known what she had been through too. And it would have helped me to deal with stuff. And I'm not blaming her for not sharing because she was so silenced. You know, she was a fifties housewife. You know, she wore white gloves until she married the hippie. (laughs) and let her hair down but you know so she was silenced too so i don't blame her but then man when we finally had that conversation one day on the phone and it was just like okay wow i finally know who you are yeah liberation it's why it's why in the early days of feminism they used to have those get everybody get together in the living room and do those consciousness raising talks and they would talk about stuff and that was I, I. My mother wasn't involved in any of that stuff. But I some I had a couple friends there whose moms were in those kind of groups. And you'd go and they'd you'd like like you on their way to somebody's room to play. You'd there'd be like all these women in the living room sitting on pillows and with these very intense looks on their faces,
0: talking about feelings <laughs> and experiences and clitoris and clitoris. Yes, um, we have a couple more questions come through. Um, uh, and, okay. you know, you have this beautiful arc of the book sort of starting in COVID. Um, you know, you start from the present and and weave your past through it. And then we kind of end up in the present again. Um, so this person's question is related to your opinion on, on what's going to happen with online dating post-COVID. Do you think... This will bring about positive change. Do you think things will be worse? I know you did some reporting on like what has been happening with folks on dating apps during COVID. But what are your thoughts about post-COVID? Where are we headed? So interesting you should say that because I, am, I love filming.
1: I love to film people talking. I, I love to interview people. I love to talk to people. And um, it's probably the thing I think I do best. Like that's my real for one of a better word gift is 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 talking to people. And so I've been going out and I've been uh interviewing people and I just with like a this little camera that I have. And I'm going to do these cuts and put them on my website because I'm still interested in what's going on. So so anyway, so like a week or two ago I went out and I filmed some it was it was this beautiful day in New York. Everything had just opened up. Every bar in my Area The East Village was just full of people, full of kids, full of young people, and a lot of um, Gen Z type kids, young 20s. I I talked to two groups, some young men and some young women, and there was a a non-binary person in there, too. And um, it was so interesting because, you know, Gen Z isn't really into dating apps as much as I think millennials are, perhaps. That's, that's the sense that I get. It's more, they're they're more, they more seem to be dating through Instagram and, um, mainly, you know, through, through hitting somebody up on Instagram, you know, these young guys were telling me, um, you know, if I see someone I'm interested in, we don't exchange numbers. We just exchange Instagram handles or whatever, you know? And so, um, But then they were also saying these young guys were saying they were all three straight guys. They were saying that they use dating apps when they just want sex. Now I'm not saying that they just want to like have an easy like boom boom Mm -hmm, boom. And mm -hmm. I'm not look look I'm not saying that every single guy uses dating apps that way. Don't at me. But but I do think that that is how a lot of young men see
0: dating apps. There's a distinction. distinction. Yeah. Between how those apps are being used.
1: They might go for, this is what I heard. They might go for an Instagram thing that's more of like a convo and then more of a conversation and they want to talk and they want to, you know, maybe like do it like a date date. But dating apps are just to hit it and quit it. This is what they were saying. And um I don't think that that is going to change so much in post COVID. I think this is, I think the whole like vaxed and wax summer and hot girl summer, not my words, hot, hot girl summer. Su- yeah. Hot vax summer. These boys were saying hot girl summer. Oy. But, um, <laughs> this is the words they use. So I, I don't, I do think people, there's a, a sense of celebration and relief and just like wanting to get out there and, 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 Bump uglies, like it's I just like say, I thought you were gonna say
0: bone, <laughs> but
1: <laughs> bone, be touched, <laughs> have some sex, yeah. and I am all about it. Like I, I think that's fantastic. Now, as long as people treat each other with respect and 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 don't make each other feel bad, that's that's the problem, right? It's not the sex. I've never had a problem with it, the sex. You know, I've been accused of being a slut, and also being not sex positive. Like I think that people need really need to read my work and actually try and understand what I'm trying to say rather than think what they hear about me or something sometimes, because I don't know where some of it's
0: come. It's the yes. And it's the yes. And like, both things are true. Like you can want, this this is kind of the the catch 22 of like, I want sex, but I also don't want someone to think of me as an object. And I think that, objectification is something that you talk about throughout the book of like, what are we and really doing the- here? If we're like in this zone of, of a game, then how do we translate the tool of the game? If we're just going to call it what it is into something that like feels remotely, like we're connecting in real life as two people, (laughs) two human beings, who have thoughts and ideas and feelings. And some of those are quite muddy and murky and weird. And sometimes we don't know what we want. But, you know, we're still showing up as ourselves, we can't not be human. And, you know, a lot of the experiences that you talk about are like, people are being kind of tasked with that, of not having feelings and not being able to show up how they fully would like to. Well,
1: what I heard from these young women that I talked to—and granted, this was just one group—and they're and I'll, I'll eventually put it up on the website so you can see—they were great. They—they they were. It's just one group, but I found, you know, I'm good at picking them. Like they felt representative in a certain way. So the boys were all the young. I call them boys because they're like 22, 23 years old, and they were all, um, you know. They were all like talking about like, no relationship. No, I was like, what are y'all going to do this summer? No relationship. No relationship. It's hot girl summer. You know, like that's what they were unsurprisingly. Nobody's surprised about that. But what I did find surprising and very interesting was that the young women and this was four of them and one was non binary. They were talking about how this is the summer of my friends. This is a summer of girls hanging out with girls and, and we're going to be just be together and be girls and have fun just together with my friends. And I was like, that sounds fantastic. Like my date is my friends. And they were all very adamant about this. And I said, well, why Why, why did this happen? Why, why do you feel this way? And they were really complaining about what, what dating was like during COVID and how one of them had had a relationship. Previous to COVID, it had been a situationship, no labels. And then during COVID, like happened with so many people, they started living together and had to actually deal with each other and like find out about each other and, <laughs> and, and see what you're really like. And like, she said, this girl said, I didn't, I didn't even want to be there. And then as soon as he got vaccinated, he went out and he, she said he messed up, you know, <laughs> so there was a, she, and then one of them was just like, and this is her words. You can see it it will be on my website. She just said, I I hate men. (laughs) Straight girl, straight girl. I, 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 I I hate men. (laughs) And I said, why? And she said, well, I think that what, what I have seen is that this culture of dating right now is not fun for a, a, a lot of young women because it is, it does privilege. If you're straight, it does privilege guys so much. And it, it's, it's a matter of really like, you know, feeling like you're not special and not respected and who wants that. And, and also once you get into bed with them, you know, it's not always so great. And I found that too, when I, when I had, you know, my experiences that I talk about in my book, you know, I had, you know, a few years of really good sex with one person that I did meet on Tinder. Um, but there were challenges in other ways because there was like a real you know, there's that lack of communication and he turned into a fuckboy. But <laughs> but I did have good sex with him, but I felt that there was a lot of bad sex that had to do with the hookup aspect of it all and them not really caring whether you get off or not or, or having a good time. And also porn. You know, and so you wonder, like, why do these young women just want to hang out with each other and not go out with these guys who are literally at the next table going, like, no relationship, <laughs> hot girl summer? Gee, I wonder why they don't
0: want to hang out with those guys. I wonder yeah, why. There's, there's you know? a disconnect there, but I wish them all luck. Like, I want them to all have the kind of summer. Oh, they want.
1: totally. I love yeah. them so much. I love them so much. Even the guys I love too. Like, there's something so incredibly, um, endearing about that time of life when you're just like figuring it all out and trying to find out what, you know, what you want and, and how to get it. And, and I think technology is getting in the way. I do.
0: We have a question about that. So do you think there's a connection between the fact that it's predominantly men coding dating apps? Do they, uh, uh, do they provide any incentive to build apps? That actually protect women from abuses. I mean, this is um, this is something that you talk about in the book, so everybody should buy a copy immediately. But also, in Swiped, you have two people um, who you interviewed have a fascinating conversation, which doesn't produce the next groundbreaking app, but it is an interesting question of what if apps were built by women. So I will I will allow you to answer this person's question about like what you think the impact of men designing these apps is. And also I'd love to hear your thoughts on what's, what's an app that would basically favor or privilege women. women. Well,
1: my answer to that is, is twofold. The one answer is you know silicon Valley the tech world it's no longer Silicon Valley, it's Austin, Texas, and it's New York City is incredibly male dominated We know this this isn't some kind of like feminist you know conspiracy theory like there's just an abundance of data and there's all kinds of you know lawsuits that we can look to sexual harassment lawsuits a labor in a department of labor investigation into practices you know we know that Silicon Valley tech, big tech has a problem with sexism. Read Brotopia, Emily Chang's great book. There's, there's just, you know, the first, the very, going back to, I talk about in the book, the first, the person who's credited with inventing online dating was also a guy who had a big porn site, you know, so there's, there's (laughs)
0: literally porn.com or sex.com.
1: Sex.com. Sex.com. So, so, you know, so it's not, this is not surprising to any of us that this is a male dominated industry that needs to hire more women to have more women in power, to listen to women more, to have women in all aspects of the creation of, of these things. And yes, as coders and there was, I think a blind study where women are shown to be even better coders. Although they don't, you know, like they hire now like violinists behind the curtain. Cause they, there was like bias, you know, and they showed that like, Right, so when they did blind, like women actually code better. So I think don't at me, but I think that, <laughs> I think that they do. I think that I don't have that study in my book, but I think I heard that. So yes, of course, everything would change, and don't don't think that just because Bumble calls itself a feminist dating app that there's anything feminist about it. You know, it's it was not invented by a woman. It was invented. The whole idea came from Andre Andre, who is the of Russian mogul who owns Badoo. And he went to Whitney Wolf Heard and said like, let's do Tinder, but like, let's call it feminist. He owns 80% of it. She owns like 20%. So, and, and I talked to like feminist dating historians who like Zoe Strimple great British dating historian in my film. She says like, Bumble just codifies that women have to do more work. And I'm, like, more labor and, and more emotional labor. And, you know, so I don't think that there are currently any, feminist apps. I was recently reached out to by a woman. Uh I'm not gonna say who it is. It's a brand new app. It's getting buzzed. Um she wanted to she saw that I had been on some podcasts and stuff and she reached out to me and she said she had worked at another big dating app for years. And she wanted to ask she's a woman and she wanted to ask me like what she's the CEO of this new thing. She's like, how can we make it safer? And I was like, well, what do you have in place so far? What, do you, what are you working with so far? Let's see what we can work with what you've got. She was like, "Um, what? Like <laughs> like nothing. Like nothing. And I was like, don't you know about all this stuff and all the stuff we've been talking about in this conversation? The rape, the sexual assault, the dick pics, the this, the harassment, the this. She's like, I, w- I wasn't aware of any of that. Um, I, I was like, how is that possible? How is that possible? It's hard like, to believe. Do you, not, do you not read the news? Like, yeah, I think also they're in a bubble. You know, she's like, well, at, at, I don't want to say the day and where she was. We just never heard about that. So I, I do think that having women would be better, of course, but they, that really like threw me. Like they have to be women who are conscious of this kind of thing. The other problem I think is that um, I just think there's a whole problem of mediating your intimate life through screens. I think that, yeah, I think it privileges the male gaze necessarily because that's the world, that's the world that we live in. And I think that this idea that there's no other way to date is a corporate, it's social conditioning, that it's the kind of social conditioning that they want you to think that there's no other way to date. We evolved for tens of, thousands of years, right? And Justin Garcia, who's the research director of Kinsey Institute of Sex said to me, um, yeah, this is the biggest revolution in dating and mating. That's what they call it, mating in in sex research in 10 to 15,000 years since the agricultural revolution. It's happening in a nanosecond. And it's it's not something we've evolved to. It's a corporate takeover of our intimate spaces. It's not necessarily permanent. And this idea that it is permanent and that there's nothing we can do about it. That to me is a kind of brainwashing and social conditioning that they exactly want you to think. It's not true. It's just not true. You can meet someone organically. You can. And I think, um, you know, instead of what working for the man. By, you know, doing your data, data work that they want you to do all the time, you know, doing your free labor for these companies, because that's kind of what it is all the time that you're doing. You're just doing this free labor, free labor, free labor. And that's why everyone feels exhausted by it. Just try to talk to somebody, go out and meet somebody. Go, you know, how did people used to meet? They met through friends. I met my first husband. Well, that was a disaster. I mean, he wore a cape. So I really we should have, have married him. We have a couple more
0: questions, so I want to make sure we get to wore, them.
1: <laughs> he wore a cape, but I met him at a dinner party. Like, have yeah. a dinner party.
0: I'm, I'm always shocked when I get the question of, like, well, where can I meet people? Um, that, that does happen when I do events. And I'm like, well, you know, they're kind of all over the place. Like, take back the power um, of your life. Yeah, I mean, be, but be, it's... it's be, be a person with, in the world. Yeah, I, I think it's, it is so ingrained, especially for people who grew up with this technology. Um, well, that's so, another problem. Um, could big dating be targeted at a different kind of relationship, like platonic relations, and see better results? So I'm thinking, for instance, like Bumble BFF, um, or are all forms of connections on these apps faulty... And then we have one more question too. So I want to make sure we we get to that. Look,
1: you know, it's not a binary. It's not like either or like it's all good or all bad. It's all black or it's all white. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that like nobody ever has a good experience. Of course not. And like, I just told you, I had a, I had a really good thing with somebody for like years, you know, people say, you know, like, well, maybe you just didn't do it right or something. I did plenty of it right. And we, we, we had a good time. But I think that the fact of the technology has destroyed trust. It's made it impossible for anybody to really know for sure if they can trust somebody. If somebody is... Look, the other thing is the addiction element of it. I smoked cigarettes in, like an idiot in my 20s and 30s. And when I get stressed out or I'm on deadline or, you know, I don't smoke anymore now. ever since I had my daughter, but I still, to this day, it's like a heroin addiction. If I'm, if I'm like stressed out, I want a cigarette and I have to fight the want of a cigarette. If you get addicted to dating apps it, it, and everybody does, it's impossible not to because they've designed it so that you do get addicted and that dopamine rush that you get from matches and stuff, that's rewiring your brain. So like, even if you get into a relationship, with someone as you know, relationships are not always smooth sailing. The beginning can be quite fun and quite wonderful, but like down the road years, it might take months. It might take years. You will hit a patch. That's difficult. You will. And, and it'll be your challenge to see if you can get through that patch or not. If you have dating app addiction in your, in the pathways of your brain, like I do cigarettes, when you might think like, well, fuck her I'm or fuck him. I'm gonna go on Tinder see if I can match with somebody. you know you will do you will think that and and I think a lot of people do and 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 I get so many emails and I get so many d m s from people who are like, "What do I do? I found out that. You know, my husband's on Tinder, or like I saw this on his phone, or I saw it's not just Tinder, it's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's all these things. You know, there's all kinds of like micro cheating going on, like all over the place, like all the time. So I think real good relationships are built on trust. And I think that most people would agree that that's true. And so I think that if you want to have a good relationship with somebody, you're going to have to figure out a way to cut this technology out of your dating lives together. And that doesn't mean like you can't meet fr- friends. it's different, I think, because you're not worried about whether your friend has other friends. <laughs> you, want, you want your friend. No, there's lots of people who are polyamorous and I'm not polyamorous, but there are people who are polyamorous and that's a, that's a valid choice. And if that's what you want to do and you're cool with all that, that's good. But lots of people are not polyamorous. Lots of people want to have their person and have their person be their person. And I think that this technology has just made it so much harder to do. And I I, I think that like, it just, it's kind of common sense, a step towards having a really good, strong, intimate connection with someone is not having technology in your life with that person.
0: Final question. Thank you so much. Um, When you say our culture decrees this or that, How can that be changed? So just a light question to round us out. Um, Would more women in tech make a difference? You did address the last question, but I am curious about like, how do we change the culture of dating from here? Well,
1: you know, I think everything is communication. I I mean, culture misogyny like i started to become aware as a as a as an adult how and and i really became much more aware as an adult writing this book how much misogyny which we can finally say is a word yay we can have a word for it um (laughs) it was systemic misogyny i love saying it i you know i was told when i wrote american girls not to use the word misogyny because it was too strong i said sexism So anyway. But as a mom, for example, and I'm going to relate this to dating in a second, I didn't want my daughter to grow up the same way that I did, like with no tools. You know, I got, I got, I got tools. I watched like Gloria Steinem on Dick Cavett when I was little. And I really was like, okay, yeah, she was, you know, she was very cool. And Susan Brown Miller and stuff, I watched them on TV and I, I picked up on all my cues and I read stuff and everything. But, you know, I'm getting all this other stuff like Love's Baby Soft and Brooke Shields and their Calvins. And I didn't want my daughter to have no tools from her mom, like, you know, literally tools with which to look at this stuff. So I would start talking to her about it and I wouldn't like shove it down her throat or anything. But just when things would come up and I'd be like, "Uh, I don't want that to just like go in there. I want her to have a filter for that. I would talk to her about it and it could be something so simple as like we're watching, we used to watch, I love Lucy in the morning when we we're eating her breakfast and there'd be the Hallmark channel, which always had advertisements for ladies cleaning toilets and they were always ladies cleaning toilets in like 2000 and whatever ladies cleaning toilets. And like my, like doing the same shit that they did in the fifties, my toilet's so clean, cleaner than yours, you know, like stuff like that. And so I would just say to her, what do you think of that? Like, why are they fighting over their toilet? And she'd be like, I don't know, mom, that's crazy. So, you know, like just sort of, so I think the same kind of thing applies to dating in the sense that like, you know, when you see some, like, um, this is a bad, this is really a bad example. Cause it's like about terrorism, but like, if you see something, say something, you know, <laughs> like if you see a guy do something, like see something, say something like, um, and also you can find out about them through doing that. Like, what, what, what do you think of that? Like, I remember the moment that I knew I had to get out of my first marriage was when he didn't like Thelma and Louise. Like, I just knew, like, he just like, we just had this big argument about it. And he, because a lot of people were like really shocked by that movie. And he said, well, I, I, they, they didn't have to kill him. He wasn't raping her when she shot him. And I was like, okay, Like, I just was like, that's it, you know, right. Because, but these things come up, right. And I wish I had knew that before. So I'm just saying like, there's these kind of, you know, litmus tests that you can run. And there's these kind of like, you know, to be, to be fair and to be compassionate, like we can educate each other about stuff. We can, we can explain to each other why, and not in a threatening way. And not like, I never would sit my daughter down and say, Now we will talk about feminism and learn about feminism. I never do that. I'd be like stirring the spaghetti and be like, what do you think of the such and such? You know, it's the same thing with, with dating. It's like, you can sort of like find out where they're at with stuff. And I'm not saying I was ever perfect at this or good at this. I mean, like my whole life with men, is like just one disaster after another. (laughs) Read the book. You'll learn. (laughs) Right. But I, but I learned, I learned. So yeah. maybe by reading the book, you'll know it beforehand instead of after. Right, right.
0: <laughs> well, Every dumb
1: mistake I ever made, you can take that and, and like not do what I did.
0: And have a conversation about it, perhaps, later with a loved one. <laughs> well,
1: can I just say one last thing? This yes. Wonderful, I got this wonderful DM, this woman, young woman, oh no, like 30s. She's reading the book and she gave it to her new guy that she met on Hinch. And she's making, she's making him read it.
0: Oh, uh, I love so, that.
1: Yes. And they're spread, talking about
0: it. Spread the word. Yeah. Because they're talking about it. You do such a great job of weaving in all of this data with personal stories. And I think that's really what makes the book so powerful. So I just want to thank you for you're the book. You're so
1: lovely. You're so lovely. You know, yeah. you're just wonderful. And I love you. Yeah, I mean, to you.
0: I'm, I'm literally going to be changing some of the recommendations that I have to my coaching clients because of this book. That's like the God's honest truth. I, it, it really has given me a lot to think about and how I guide that my makes clients me feel really good. through this inferno, because it, it really is. So um, thank you so much to our audience for great questions. And before we officially wrap it, um, it is a tradition here to ask our speakers the following question. What is your 60 second idea to change the world? I'm very interested to hear what yours is, Nancy Jo. I didn't know I had to do this. That's fine. You're not supposed to.
1: Oh my God. 60 second idea to change the world.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: I was talking to somebody the other day, like if I had my life to live over again and I, I, I realized what I know now, I would spend my whole life working on the environment. I really, really would, because I think that's, Beyond dating, beyond anything, that's that's where we are right now as a planet. Like, it's, you know, everybody is. We're on this little ship, and it's like, you know, we have this real problem. So I don't know what to do about it, though. Um, that's not an answer. What? Do, how am I going to change the world? I change the world. I I guess I try and change the world by telling the truth about myself, and I I know that that's not that sounds narcissistic. But I like both it,
0: answers. It,
1: it kind of goes back <laughs> to what that questioner asked like why why don't we talk about things that are true? And and I find that every time that I do, and especially if if I talk to others about it who are having the same problems perhaps that I have had and and we can it, it doesn't feel so bad and it makes things better. It's awkward, you know? but then it's good. You just, just tell the truth good. about yeah. yourself. Don't hide yourself. There you go. Let your, let your. What's that expression that we used to say? Let your freak flag fly. There, it's hard to say. <laughs> let well, your freak you. flag fly.
0: That's how you change the world. Thank you for that. We all need that, especially during you know this fantastic Pride Month. We all need to let oh, our yeah, freak pride. flag fly. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate that as our uh, our closing. So thank you to Nancy Joe Sales for joining me today at Inforum at the Commonwealth Club. I would like to remind our audience that Nancy Joe's book, Nothing Personal, My Secret Life in the Dating App Inferno, can be purchased through your preferred bookseller, maybe a feminist small bookseller. Um, if you'd like to watch more virtual programs or support the Commonwealth Club's efforts in making virtual programming, please visit commonwealthclub.org online. And I'm Myesha Battle. Thank you. And stay safe. You've been listening to a podcast of Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live events in San Francisco at InforumSF.org.